welcome to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun. And this is your host, Jazz Bear. Now, this week's guest is Ryan Norris. Now, Ryan is the co-founder of Archimedes Group. He is a real self-made real estate entrepreneur who owns and operates 10 mobile home parks spanning over 1,245 units. He really is a success story. He started with nothing, no money, no experience, no network. And he was at the age of 20-something with way more loan uh, student debt than actually a capital to invest in deals. And he was also stuck in um, corporate America and he built his business while he was stuck in in business. He really is truly a success story. You know, someone who had nothing and has and, and now become a multimillionaire. And in, in this uh, episode, he's going to share with us tips, tricks, insights, lessons. Um, you know, if you're stuck in a job that you don't enjoy and want to move into entrepreneurship and the challenges of it. And really, if you put, if you, you know, work hard and really apply yourself and wait for the right opportunity to come along, you, you can be successful and can be a multimillionaire. Uh, so let's welcome Ryan. How's your day been, Ryan? Uh, pretty wild. So I own mobile home parks and I serve the affordable housing needs of the United States of America. And let's just say there is never a dull moment in what I do. <laughs> wow. We, we are going to talk about things like entrepreneurship. You know, you have an amazing story of, you know, how you started with nothing and you left the uh, you know, world of corporate America. Um, and then to, to what you have achieved so far is pretty amazing. And we're going to cover all that. For people that don't know you, how would you normally introduce yourself? I know you mentioned just now about, you know, your own mobile home parks. For people that are listening around the world may not know what that is. Um, they may think it's just caravans. But it's different to that because that's what I thought at first as well. It's not. So, so yeah, how would you describe to the people that don't know this? So in the United States of America, we have these things called modular homes or mobile homes or trailers or however you want to describe them. But essentially, they're homes that are built within a factory and then are shipped to a community. And it can be done a dramatically amount less expensive than a traditional stick-built home with brick and mortar, right? So the idea is wherever you have demand for housing and it needs to be cheap, right? Very inexpensive. A mobile home, a modular home is a wonderful option. It keeps the cost really low. And the, the idea that it's a mobile home isn't really fair because it costs a lot of money to move them. And, and it's not just to move them, it's also to get them set up. So really, the, like, they're technically mobile homes, but really they're just supposed to be mobile as in we're going to literally put it on the back of a giant, a giant like truck and right. t- with the wheels on it and take it down the road. So... Yeah, that's what I do. I, I buy the, the parks and I'm primarily a land lease guy. So in other words, the folks own their home and pay me for the right to have their home on my community. So it's kind of like an HOA in a way. So I handle taxes, I handle infrastructure, I handle roads, I handle trees, I handle the community, right? So if bad people come to the community, it's my responsibility to get them out. So that's what I do. That's who I am. And how long have you been doing this for now? Almost five years. Almost. And, and um, we were talking about this, you know, when we had our chat and uh, you mentioned you started all of this with nothing, no money, no connections, no experience. So talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah. So I did what my guidance counselor in high school told me to do. Study really hard in high school so you can go to a really good university. So then you can get a really good job and then you can <laughs> retire in the Bahamas. Right. And it turns out like none of that was true. And maybe, you know, I don't think the guy was lying to me, but the, the culture here in the United States of America is go to good university and then everything will take care of itself from there. And that's just not true. In fact, what's going on is now it's outrageously expensive to go to university. So basically what I was, what, what I was hit, dealt with, my hand, so to speak, if we're going to use poker terms, is I, went, I studied really hard. I went to a good school. I went to Wake Forest University in North Carolina. It's a good school. I got a good job working for a well-known bank. And it left me with a lot of student loan debt and feeling extremely unsatisfied, like extre like stuck, unsatisfied, depressed. Like after I quit, I lost 15 pounds and I did not do anything differently. Like I was not trying to lose weight. I was just that depressed working for a bank. And the, the point I'm trying to get at here is I didn't have any money. I had more student loan debt than I had money by a, a large factor. And I didn't have any experience. How much does it roughly cost to uh, go to university in America then? So it depends. So I went to Wake Forest University, which is a private school, and that was way too much money. So that's partially my fault. But Duke University is something like $80,000 a, a year. Uh, and and wow. then the smaller school, USD, and then the smaller schools, you can get away with plus or minus 20 a year. So, I mean, you're talking the better part of $100,000 for four years and not include, you know, don't forget housing costs and food and, and also opportunity costs of not being able to have a, a full-time job that pays a livable salary. So, I mean, it's, and then I doubled down and went back and got a master's degree. So, I, you know, I, it's not that I'm, I, I was dumb for doing that. I don't regret doing that. It's just that you can't, like the mistake that people make, myself absolutely guilty of this, is that, great, I have a master's degree in business. I have my MBA. Now I'm going to have a job that pays me over $100,000 USD a year. And I can coast, right? I'm going to be a manager. I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. And the truth is, I basically couldn't find a job that paid that much. And... The the job the the best job that I found, although it was lucrative, it was just left me unsatisfied, and so for me, I just got sick of it, and I went, I, I don't want to be eighty years old looking back on this moment and going, oh boy, I'm glad I stayed at my job. You know, I want to be eighty years old looking back on my life and be like, I had so much courage when I was younger. I did not play the victim when I was younger. I wanted something and I went and I out and I did something about it. And not only like whether or not I, in the last five years, I've been ex extraordinarily lucky and, and, and I've worked really, really, really hard. I made some big sacrifices. I've had a lot of luck and it's gotten me to a place where right now, if I continue on this path, I'm going to be a, a very, hopefully a very wealthy man. And even if I'm not, I don't care. And let me tell you why, because I'm happy. Because what I do today is... Like, like they say, when you parent, it's not do as I say. It, it, it's, it's, sorry, hold on, I'm going to butcher this. It's a lot of parents make the, the mistake of do as I say, not as I do. 
And I want to be the parent who, who goes, do as I do, right? So I want to tell my son one day, this is what your dad did, okay? He was sick of being depressed. He was sick of feeling stuck. He was sick of other people telling him what he should and shouldn't do. So he went out and he took a big risk and he made a big bet on himself. And regardless if it worked or not, your father refused to be a victim. And that is just by not even having to tell him that, by him being able to look at me and go, that's what my dad did. What better way can you teach your child something than by doing it yourself? So as far as I'm concerned, I had no other option but to find a way. And, and yeah, I had no money. I had no network. I had no experience. I found a way because I refused to quit. And I also wasn't in it for like, I, I wasn't going to look for a couple months and then call it quits. No, it took me two full years to go full time in my, my dream. And that's fast. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's quite a bit to process there. I don't know if that answered your question, but it is, yeah. I mean, um, it's very interesting what you said. You know, I do get to talk to a lot of people and, and you know, this is the, the number one excuse they come up with of, you know, not right now, I can't commit. I'm not sure if I have the time. Well, you're never going to have time. You're not going to get any younger. Things are not going to get, either it's for you or it's not. You know, you can't be half house. You can't be, you know, expect something for nothing. There isn't, isn't something ready for you on a plate. You know, the minute you go out, and then you're going to start selling millions of it. It's just not going to happen. It's going to require hard work. But once you do get there, you will have that sense of freedom, that sense of achievement that you're never going to get through a job. You're never going to be rich, you know, working for someone. So it's very interesting on how you did that. So now looking back at, you know, um, through your journey so far, what's a few pieces of advice would you, you know, give yourself, your old self? The best advice that I didn't know, because I could, I could... If you were to ask me what's the best advice, I would say, if I could talk to myself five years ago or even 10 years ago, I would say, keep doing what you did because what I did worked. So I would just say, do more of it. But what I didn't know, which would have been very useful at the time, although I don't know how much it would have changed, is it's, it all comes down to one word. And that word is assumption. And your life is based on assumptions. A lot of them, a lot more than, than is, it makes you comfortable admitting. And the thing about assumptions is that they are very good at deceiving you. Your own stories that you tell in your own mind are absolutely by far and away way more persuasive than anybody on this planet could persuade you. Your mind will, will convince you of some crazy things that make total sense to you. So the better you are at making assumptions that are more in line with reality, the better your decisions are going to be. So for me, what I did to quit, I quit my job and went full-time so on our third mobile home park. So I actually bought two mobile home parks before I went full-time. And when I went full-time, what I decided to do was instead of hire someone to be a property manager, I would pay myself that salary and I would go do it myself and I would live on the property, which I did for 14 months every other week. And I consumed my own product every day because I lived there, right? So because I lived it, because I did what most people don't want to do as property owners, which is manage your own properties, most people don't want to do that. Most people want to do the sexy thing, which is go and convince a bunch of people to write big checks for investment dollars and 
you know, go and buy deals and do due diligence. And then once you buy it, then you're on to the next one. No, like my thing was, yeah, I'm going to do that part because that's fun. But then also the fun part is making these properties better than when I got there. And to live it, to be in it, to consume it, I learned how my real estate niche works literally from the front lines. And because I did that, my assumption making got exponentially better. I am so much better at underwriting right now, not because I'm smarter with mathematics, but because I understand the logic behind the numbers I put into Microsoft Excel. So if I was to go back and give myself advice that I didn't already kind of intuitively know, and for anyone listening in, that word assumption is everything. And the better you are at your assumptions, because you're never really truly going to have, you know, be 100% in line with reality. You're always going to have your own flavor of delusion and degree to which. The better you are at matching your, the stories you tell in your brain with reality, the better decisions you'll make. Right. Wow. And, and you know, like, um, you know, a lot of people kind of, what, what was your kind of point of you saying, I'm done with this, my, my, my job now, I have to do something different, something on the side, I have to pursue that. I'm, I'm guessing you weren't, you would, you'd never planned to get into this, uh, you know, buying real estate. It was something, was it, what was it that was the changing turning point for you? Or was it a person, a book, or what was that? So there's a lot of things. I don't think there's ever one moment it's always, you know, it, it's a kind of good way to put it is like, if you are going to use a barbecue to grill a steak or a hamburger, like, yeah, sure. You could be like, okay, here's the point where I lit the match and the coal lit up and I started cooking, right? But there's also that whole point of getting the propane or the coal to the, the grill and, and getting everything set up and the meat prepped and everything. So really, it was a lot of moments, right? But for me, there's definitely one that stood out. And so I used to sell cars. So when I graduated, I graduated undergrad with a degree in psychology and statistics, thinking I was going to be, go be a salesperson. And I graduated in an awful time to graduate. It was 2009. So the economy had just tanked. And the cool sales jobs were not available. So I went and sold cars. And instead of thinking it was beneath me, like, why is a college graduate going to be a scummy car salesman? I looked at it like, look, I could stay at home and feel sorry for myself or I could go and get sales experience, regardless of where it comes from. And I loved it. I learned so much. I learned how to sell, negotiate, customer service, operations, dealing with confrontation because people come in wanting a fight when they buy a car, at least in the United States. So I learned all of that. The thing about selling cars is that you only get paid when you sell a car. So... If I'm not there, I'm not selling anything. And if I'm not selling anything, I'm not getting paid. And I love playing basketball. It's probably my favorite sport to play. And I sprained my ankle. And I was at home with ice on my ankle. And I guess it was, that was the moment that I lit the match, so to speak. That was the one thing I could point to and go, I am not making any money. And I went out to the store that same day and bought crutches and then showed up at the dealership. Because I went, I'm not, I'm not making any money. And here's the thing. In my 20s, I can do it. Right? In my 20s, I can hobble around on some, some crutches and, and make this happen. When I'm in my 60s before retirement, I can't do that. That's not an option. In other words, the way I looked at it was I need money coming in whether I show up to work or not. 
So in other words, I, I kind of inherently discovered passive income. And then I just went, okay, well, how do I get this? So what I did was really four things. I learned, I networked, I self-assessed. So I understood who I was. And then I sacrificed. And this took years. I mean, it took years before I even identified mobile home parks as what I wanted to do. And I looked at probably about 100 businesses, probably over that. I tried to start three and failed three. And when mobile home parks finally hit, I had such a, a good awareness of who I was at heart that it was easy. And my wife hates when I say this, but when I met her, the stars aligned. Not like Hollywood romantic, not that it wasn't romantic, but it, it was one of those things where everything was just like, you know what, this is who I want to be with. And everything just made sense. And we, we really quickly got engaged and really quickly got married. And we've been together for almost 10 years now. And, and if you were to ask her, I mean, I, I think our marriage is better now than it's ever been. And so everything was right because all the stars aligned. And it was the same thing with mobile home parks. And I'll tell you why. It's because I knew who I was. So when the right opportunity finally hit, it was an easy yes. It was the same way with my wife. I knew who I, I was. She knew who she was. Neither of us ha are, are, have false self-esteems. We both have developed self-esteems that are based on reality. And so we knew what each other were looking for. And once we found each other, it was easy, right? It wasn't like, oh, let's spend six months figuring out what delusions you have and what delusions I have. And you think you're great, but you're not actually great. And you're trying to be this person, but you're not really that person. No, none of that was there. None of that was there. Our first date, I went on a date with my wife. I had a hole in my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and she looked at me. She was like, this guy's going to show up with a hole in his shirt? Like, well, I mean... He's either not trying or he's going to be really honest. And it turned out I was just really honest. And, and so she, I mean, and it was the same way with her. So in other words, I spent time doing those four things. And then when you pick up books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and, and Tim Ferriss' Four-Hour Workweek, you're going to learn wisdoms that they don't teach you in school that, are, that absolutely should be. And so... And then it's beyond just that. It's, it's also networking. It's also meeting people who are going to tell you things that are not in books. And, and self-assessing, understanding who you are so that when you do find the right opportunity, you can make a big bet on yourself and you can make that sacrifice. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, my, my journey. It, was it one moment? Sure. But really, it was a lot of moments over a lot of years, asking a lot of really tough questions. Wow. That reminds me of uh, when you talked about your wife and being, be, being honest with yourself is kind of the, the theme here. Just be honest with yourself. You know, there's some things you're good at, some things you're not, some things you can achieve now, some things will take a long time. You know, all of that, putting things in perspective and being honest with yourself. Something when you shared this story came to my mind was I recently watched The Big Short on the 2008 financial crisis of how it happened. And the guy that predicted it, uh, played by um, Christian Bell, yes. um, his yes. character, He's the one that, that's talking about, uh, you know, he said he's, he was the kind of, uh, the, he has a unique way of thinking, meaning, meaning he's very honest and he can see things others can't, which simply means being honest. Most people are under this illusion and, you know, they tell themselves things that aren't true. And he mentioned one of the stories where he says how he met his wife. And he said, you know, I went on this dating app um, and he said, I'm, um, I don't know how to talk to girls. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm broke. Um, I have this much debt. If it's something that interests you, contact me. And he goes, it was the first or second person that contacted me. She goes, I was looking for someone just like you. 
<laughs> someone being honest because most of the people that bullshit themselves you know if they're doing it on something like dating they'll be doing it everywhere yeah in every area of their life some way in shape form or other so that, that's that's very interesting that kind of moves me on to um you know one of the biggest things that most people strive to do and they want to leave their uh you know corporate job want to be entrepreneurs and and a good way to or or shall i say the only way to other way to measure your success is one is how happy you are and a sense of achievement the other ones how do you create that wealth from being an entrepreneur being a business owner and i know we spoke about this how do you get to that 1% wealth talk a little bit about that yeah so actually there's two answers here uh that i i want to speak about both but i i have this thing i call the 1% rule and basically what it is is so i'm a stats guy right statistics and the thing of being about being in the 1% is you are on the correct side of the curve more than two standard deviations so you're really rare so the question is if you want to be 1% wealthy how how right and the truth is you since we live in a basically you know you call it what you want but it's it's capitalism right a, a free market capitalism you know obviously there's cronyism and nepotism and and, and unfair advantages. But for the most part, we live in a capitalistic society, meaning if you can create 1% value, then you can be welcomed into the 1% wealth. So in other words, are you 1% smart? Are you 1% hardworking? Are you 1% good looking? Are you 1% lucky? Right? You have to be 1% something. And if most people don't want to take action and, and don't want to make a big bet on themselves, you're never going to just accidentally wind up in the 1% unless you're 1% lucky. And luck is not something you can scale. It's not something you can rely on. So for me, I went, you know what? I'm not 1% smart. I'm not 1% hardworking. I'm not 1% good at anything. And even just being 1% good at something isn't still not going to guarantee you 1% wealth. So what I realized is I could be 1% willing to do what no one else is willing to do. Then I could get really, really proficient at things that no one else wants to do. And um, Mark, it was at Mark Rowe of Dirty Jobs. He says this, which I think is brilliant. He's like, if you were a banker in San Francisco, California, and you took a day off, would the banking industry shut down? No. But if you were an underwater welder in San Francisco and you took some time off, would San, Fran San Francisco struggle? And the answer is yes. And here's why. Because there's not very many underwater welders. You have to be really good at two things, scuba diving and welding. So, And there's other nuances within that too. And the point there is brilliant. You don't need to go to college and rack up student loan debt to be an underwater welder. Right. So what is that in the market that you can be passionate about that's lucrative and you can be the best in the world at, or at least someone who matters and is important and isn't just a copy paste. Right. So that's Jim Collins, good to great. So in other words, from from that standpoint, being one percent wealthy means you've provided this world with one percent of something. And if you go home and watch Netflix and you don't put any time improving yourself unless you're really lucky. You're never going to hit the one percent. But the the other answer to this question is how do you how do you actually build wealth? And the answer is for for me, I, I have built a decent amount of wealth. But here's the thing: I'm not liquid. I pay myself thirty five thousand dollars a year USD, 
That's not that's below average in the United States of America. And I do that on purpose. And here's why: because every dollar above that I, that I make is reinvested in my company and makes my company more worth more. So if I was to sell my company off today, I would have a lot of liquid dollars, which would be great. So technically, my net worth has gone from effectively negative to a much higher number, right? And it's because I'm willing to do something ridiculous, which is pay myself the bare bones. Like I drive an t- over 10-year-old car. I have a phone that some of my tenants have nicer, newer phones than I do. So I'm willing to, at 32 years old, live really frugally and take all of my other dollars and keep pumping it into this company and making it worth more. So then eventually someone will come in and buy me out and then I can ride off into the sunset and be wealthy. So, Or I can keep doing what I'm doing and, and just continue to work for myself. And, and regardless, if you, want, if you are, are going to be an entrepreneur or even just stay in corporate America and you want to be a millionaire or multimillionaire, the only way to do that is to pump your balance sheet full of assets. Like there's a difference between being balance sheet rich and cash flow statement rich. Like you can have $250,000 coming in, but if you are spending 300, then you are not building wealth. So it's really it's really twofold, right? Number 1, you have to provide 1% value. And number 2, you have to be pumping your own balance sheet full of the money and the value that you are creating. Even if it's not liquid and you don't get to go drive a Maserati or Ferrari or whatever, it's like the book, The Millionaire Next Door, the, the fascinating reveal in that book is that a lot of people that you would never guess have millions of dollars or your neighbors have millions of dollars just because they've made a lot of money and they haven't spent it like knuckleheads. So that's, that's kind of a, a, a two-pronged answer to that question. That, that's, that being said, I, uh, it's, it's on my list to read uh, books, Millionaire Next Door. I remember I saw this um, Instagram um, picture where they had uh, millionaires in movies and it had all of the people from, um, uh, what's that uh, movie from Wind Diesel, the, the one with cars? Um, Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious. So it had all of those, because one of the movies that then they become millionaires, very rich. And then they had a picture of Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and said, not a single garment on them is above $30, $40. Not a single yep. one. They dress, they eat like the poor, but you know, they mentally, physically, emotionally, they're so wealthy. Yeah. It's a... It's a different mindset. Themselves. Yeah, it's a totally different mindset. Yeah, 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 absolutely. What's, what's your view on, uh, you know, where's the world economy going now? So we're now, we're in, in, in UK, Europe, we are coming out of, uh, we are coming out of Europe. So there's, that's, that's a big thing that's going to affect the economy with China rising, with the US, with a lot of President Trump trying to put embargoes on, on China. How do you kind of see the business entrepreneur world? Do you see there's a good period coming or are we heading towards a recession? Or what do you think is, what's your view on that? I think the best investors make it through a recession. It's relatively speaking easy to make money when everything is going the right direction and very difficult to stay afloat during a recession. So that being said, I don't think that it's right to look at all of the indicators like the reverse, the, the, the inverse yield curve and looking at things like Brexit, which is going to, as you know, better than I do, trigger a lot of problems 
for customs and for the board, the hard border on Northern Ireland and the pound is going to take a beating. And I mean, when I, when I, so I work for the big bank, this was three years ago, right immediately after, after Brexit, they had already had plans to move their, their Europe headquarters from London to Munich. So you're going to see a lot of big banks moving to shipping over to Germany. So that's going to create a, a really, a really not so good thing. And then you're seeing negative interest rates across Europe, which is okay. It's like playing with fire, especially because it's okay if you're Europe and you're heavily invested in the U.S. dollar. But if the United States has to go into negative interest rates, then all of a sudden, pandemonium could break. You know, and and, and who knows where that's uncharted territory for the most part. For history. So the question is, what the heck is going to happen? And at my time at the bank, what I learned is that the people who study the markets and who make those big decisions and those, those research think tanks and the market makers, they all, the market is infinitely smarter than you can even imagine. The people that have the big bucks that are making the big bets, although you can look at them and, and be like, ha ha, you did this and that was stupid. Those people are brilliant and are, and are crowdsourcing their intelligence and are going to not make overly stupid decisions for the most part. And the reason why that's relevant is because everybody is expecting a recession. Everybody. Everybody thinks it's coming. And here's what that means. If everybody's looking for it, when it does come, it's going to come where no one saw it coming. Because 2008, most people had no idea. I mean, obviously, if you, if you talk to enough people, they're like, oh, I called that. Like, no, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. So it's the same thing. What's going to happen is like, you're going to have those Christian bail types from the big short who are going to predict it and make buku dollars, right? But for the most part, the rest of us bozos are going to totally not even see it coming. So I think, I think the relevant thing to, to, to do here is go, what am I passionate about? The, those things that Jim Collins said, right? What am I passionate about that is also lucrative, right? Because like I love playing video games, but I'm never going to be good enough to make money playing video games. And if I was, I'd probably hate video games because I had to play them all the time. So it's like you need something that's also lucrative, but then also you need to... Be, you need to feel important. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but as human beings, we need to feel like we have meaning and purpose and like we're special, even if we're not. It's better to be a small fish that's bigger than the other fish in a small pond than an even bigger fish in a giant ocean with fish that are way bigger. You need to find a way to be, the, like Jim Collins says, be the best in the world. So if, you know, if I'm talking to myself, if I was 10 years younger right now, what I would tell myself is keep doing what you're doing, Ryan, which is go and find what you're passionate about. Because I found mobile home parks at 28. So it took me it's a lot from being an adult at 18 to 28 years. It took me a decade to find mobile home parks. So what I would tell anyone listening in now is like, yeah, it's cool to like have your finger on the pulse of the market so you can sound intelligent when you're talking about it. But don't ever let that be an excuse not to get started. Go find what you love. And regardless if the economy is good or bad, you will find a way because people will still be spending money. Well said. Now, what's, what's next for Ryan? What's, where are you taking your ship? I want to do more charity work. So we've, I've already done a bunch of cool things. I started a partial scholarship for anyone in my communities that want to go to school. 
I offer to pay for college apps. I help people. I partner with Paylease, help people build their credit scores while they pay their rent if they opt in. We do free food giveaways. We partner with local churches. We do all sorts of stuff. And the thing of it is, I still, and I do a bunch of other cool things, and I still don't feel like it's enough. And, you know, for me, obviously, who wouldn't want more money? You know, who wouldn't want more celebrity and fame and cool, fancy, dancy stuff? But the truth is, what I want to do is I want to help more. So for me, where I'm going is I'm going to continue plowing forward with my business and try to grow it and obviously try to create more wealth and create more jobs, really. It, the wealth piece is it's, it's further down the list for me. But really, what I want to do is I want to help more people and I want to inspire more people to help more people. So I, I think one way that I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to do it is, is to talk to awesome people like you, Jezbeer. And the reason is because you have a voice in the community and people can hear my voice. And even though I'm not selling anything or raising any money, if I can help your audience get inspired to get out there and start their own businesses or chase their dreams, or if nothing else, just make this world a better place because you were there, because you were in it. That's what I want to do. That's what I want my future to be. When I'm gone, I don't want to be known for this super duper wealthy guy. I want to be known for the guy who did not make excuses and inspired others to help along with him. So he said, do as I do, not do as I say and not as I do. Awesome. And how, how can people find you, connect with you? ask you questions? I am, like Tupac says, I ain't hard to find. I am, <laughs> to my knowledge, the only Ryan Naris in the world. My, my name is N-A-R-U-S. That's N like Nancy Naris. I am all about LinkedIn. I am very easy to find on LinkedIn. If you Google me, my website comes up, archimedesgrp.com. You can send me a message on either of them. I don't care where you are in the world. I would love to talk to you. I don't care if you're unemployed or the CEO of a major Fortune 500 company. I would love to help you, even if I get nothing in return. I just, you know, if I can help people help people, sign me up. Awesome. Well, uh, now we've come to the end of the show. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we close out? Yeah. So I host my own podcast. It's called Mobile Home Parks in Real Life. If you are not in a place where you're interested in mobile home parks, but you're interested in real estate, I've got a lot of content on there you need to hear. And even if you just want to know more about my story, Starting With Nothing, I have an entire episode called Starting With Nothing. And I have an entire episode called Spousal Buy-In, which if you are like me and your wife, you come home one day and you're like, hey, here's my idea to start a business. And she looks at you and she's like, curse word, no. <laughs> I hope you're kidding right now because absolutely not. Any... <laughs> A lot of entrepreneurs who have wanted to start businesses who have significant others who don't like the idea could really benefit to hear what my wife had to say because it's about a 15-minute long episode. And she just... I gave her the mic and I said, two rules, no bad words and none of my secrets. And she does for about 10 solid minutes just absolutely roasts me. And then for the last five minutes, we kind of have a nice back and forth. And then what we basically talk about is marriage through the lens of entrepreneurship. And, the, and, and for anyone who's like got a dream or a side hustle or something, and they just don't have the buy-in from someone very important to them in their lives, give that episode a listen and listen to it with your significant other so they know they're not alone. And so you know you're not alone. Because one big difficult thing about entrepreneurship is feeling alone. So regardless if you're getting into real estate or not, again, I, I'm not selling anything. I'm not 
raising any funds. I literally just want to help people. My podcast is called Mobile Home Parks in Real Life. And there might be something there worth listening to for 15 minutes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ryan. Yeah. Honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun. I hope you got some great value and insights from this episode. And if you're someone who wants to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur, then I have some great free resources for you. If you visit www.jazbearaurora.com, that's www.jazbearaurora.com, and drop me a line, I will send you an ebook and also a one-hour masterclass. And also, um, go and take the Escape the 9 to 5 survey, uh, which will help you understand where you are right now um, and where the gaps are in your knowledge to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur. And if you're a business and you need help growing or if you have any uh, issues that you'd like to discuss, then yeah, once again, visit the website and I'll be more than happy to help you. Thank you for listening.